All right, so welcome to another episode of Language for Liberation. It's your boy uh, Bakari Ahmed Ibrahim, aka OG Baka, here with the illustrious philosopher of the moment, <laughs> Mr. Barrett Holmes Pittner. How you doing, man? I'm 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 good, man. You know, just being illustrious, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, we might have to add that to one of the words, uh, one of this upcoming week. Uh, but good, you know, um, happy to be with here, you know, with you today uh, to talk about this week's word. It's been a great week so far, you know, um, we're coming right off of the Democratic nominate, uh, National Convention going on right now. Um, yep. Just last, yep, just last night, Kamala Harris uh, accepted her uh, nomination as the Vice President of the United States, the um, first Black woman to ever do that as 2020 has been interesting times, you know, it just keeps coming, <laughs> you know, it just keeps coming. But this is, um, you, you know, I, a lot of us are looking at, you know, this is kind of a little bit of a highlight in that time. For those that, you know, however you feel about, you know, politics in the United States and what's going on, it's definitely uh, a historical moment uh, that we're acknowledging right now. So very, uh, very cool times that we live in. But I think that, you know, it's interesting to look at the democratic national convention and the people that they were speaking because you know what's been interesting is seeing some republicans uh speaking at the democratic national convention and yeah. you know lending to the uh fight against donald trump being reelected, which lends to our word this week is, is which is kumbaya <laughs> yeah like yeah, I, I guess I guess you could connect Kumbaya to that, but that that's part of the discussion. Yes, exactly. Um, so let's get into it. Let's talk about our word this week, Kumbaya. Um, this word is something that has been, I've been interested to learn how much it was a part of the Black community, um, and not so much as a African proverb or African word, but an American, an African American southern culture and how it's kind of been taken away from us so um you know talk to me about kumbaya you know why did you pick this word what did how did it originate and you know how did we how did we get to it this week yeah yeah so no good questions essentially it's kind of it's kind of funny last week i was watching a movie just like a regular movie and the people kept on saying kumbaya with like 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 kumbaya, like you know, like the yeah, yeah. Hello, kumbaya, right? Like the way that like we talk about it now as like this, like kind of like hippie, calm, everyone come together, be happy kind of thing. They were saying kumbaya, and it just really annoyed me. It just made me so angry watching these people say kumbaya because the meaning of kumbaya is like the complete opposite of what we what it means today and mm -hmm. you know when he i think of that with, with ethnocide it, it shows how ethnocide changes the meaning of things and they change the meaning of things in a way to like that like placates and like comforts uh, white americans and so like kumbaya is not like a happy song like in, mm. in, in kumbaya the word it's actually it's actually three words that have been pushed together to one word and it's spoken in in a, a Gullah Geechee Creole English dialect. And that that dialect comes from South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, where my family's from. Like, I'm Gullah Geechee. But it means come by here. And so the song is 
as uh, Gullah Geechee people, you know, black people in Charleston singing a song, praying for the Lord to come by here and help them. You know, like it, it is a, it's not an uplifting song. It is a song that's like a reminder of oppression and the need mm-hmm. for, for help. And so it's fascinating that America doesn't know that the song means that. And it's like, you know, when you, when you really break it down, it's, it's really, I'm not sure if tragic is the right word, but maybe it's like a mixture of like tragic and horrific where there's a song that uh, press people made that's all mm-hmm. based around imploring God to come and help them because they're getting so much terror you know, upon them. And then you, some people hear the words of that song and they turn it into something that's like uplifting and really comforting to the people that are part of the culture that like creates the oppression. Like that's just like super twisted and dystopian. Yeah. You know, it, it makes me think because um, in the twisted and dystopian way, it's almost like um, if you think about it, it's like, yeah, we heard the slaves humming this song. It was quite the tune. Yeah. <laughs> and it just became like just taken away. And it, to speak to like just how much of the meaning of the word being different now than what it was created to be. I just think about how, how do we get from Lord, come help save me, come help relieve us to this as to a point where Kumbaya means we're all together now and we should push away what it is. And I think the, what's interesting about how we use Kumbaya is that it's always used in a way of we uh, agree to disagree aspect of it. Yeah. And and thinking about the agree to disagree in the United States, uh, just society and culture and what that means for us, you know, what, how does that land on you? Like the agree to disagree and how Kumbaya is used now. It's just so like frighteningly absurd. It's, it's definitely like Kumbaya now is everyone coming together, Kumbaya in like a harmonious type of way and like you agree to disagree but like you're just together and things just work out and it's like bipartisan stuff you know so like right here like in modern parlance it'd be like joe biden at the dnc getting these republicans coming together and the democrats and republicans they would say oh that's like kumbaya but it's like no like kumbaya is more like black lives matter you know (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) you're absolutely right you're absolutely right i um go ahead like one thing i think about with my work and scl's work we focus on language a lot and Mm -hmm. a key thing for language is that like when i say one say a word somebody else hears that word and we have the same definition you know, right. like if that's if you don't have that basic foundation, then like the words are meaningless, you know, right. like that we can't we can't communicate. If I say something and it means X and you hear that and you think it means Y. You right. know? Like, We're not communicating. But 
ethnocide is all about making like the oppressed irrelevant and what they say meaningless. And so like this, the discourse that America has is one where like if black people say something, white people have the capacity to be like, I don't think it means that, you know, and like Black Lives Matter is a great example of it. Black people are saying Black Lives Matter and the white people are saying, they're saying that Black Lives Matter more than other people's lives. Why not blue lives matter or all lives matter? And it's like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this specific thing. And the response is, well, I think you're saying something completely different. That's completely insane. And like, kumbaya is like that. Where like, black people are saying, hey, you know, Lord help me. These white people in the South are like trying to kill us all the time. And we need someone to help us, please you know, I'm crying, Lord, come help me, you know, come by here, physically come here and help me. And, you know, and then that that song gets recorded and like white people hear it in like the 20th century. And they're just like, kumbaya, what a, what a, what a melodic way of saying stuff. Ooh, kumbaya. So, so calming. It's like, I'm literally saying come by here. And you're like, oh, kumbaya. That just sounds so nice. Like, <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, and let's let's talk about kind of like those origins of how it switched from like being like a a slave song, something that sang in the fields to, you know, in the advent of the 1950s and 60s when like folk music came about, it became a popular song to sing. And then moving into the 60s and hippie culture, that's kind of where it got turned into the whole, you know, let's be together aspect of it, you know. Yeah, no, it's it's the thing that's so f- fascinating about it, and this is why, like, ethnocide is really so interesting just to think about and talk about, is I don't think there was malicious intent. You know, like, there's, def- like there's definitely, like, with Black Lives Matter and people saying Blue Lives Matter or All Lives Matter, like, there's definitely a malicious mm-hmm. intent where it's, like, we're right. trying to, like, reduce Black Lives Matter to just nothingness, you know? Right. But with Kumbaya it seems to be largely due to just like a collective ignorance of the experience of black people, you know, like Mm -hmm. just some quick history um, about uh, Kumbaya and Gullah Geechee people, but like Gullah Geechee people are from Charleston, South Carolina and Savannah, Georgia. My family's from Charleston and Charleston was one of the biggest like port slave port cities in America, like Charleston and New Orleans were the big ones. Florida was also big, but Florida also wasn't part of America for quite a while. So like the American ones, it's like, you know, Charleston and New Orleans. And due to this constant influx of slaves from Africa, just hitting Charleston, you know, boom, boom, all the time. And the geography of Charleston where it's marshy and there's a bunch of islands off the coast, slaves were escaping like left and right and they'd go to these islands and these islands would would became like their their refuge their sanctuary and they just they'd live, it, yeah. they'd live out on these islands and never go back to the mainland however at the same time due to the abundance of people of color there ended up becoming like a large free person to color community on mainland charleston because if you were like enslaved and you got really old and you couldn't like do work anymore like you may be, they just might say, ah, we'll just let you go free. Because, 
it's easier to let you go free than to kill you. Like that requires effort. You know, you'll probably just be free and go die something, whatever. Who cares, you know? Yeah. And it's like, what would happen is like these formerly enslaved older black people would work and save money wow. and then they'd go buy their family. And so wow. it's like, there's all these weird like parts where there's like free persons of color in Charleston, but like the dad owns the kids you know? <laughs> like, wow, that's interesting. That That's actually really fascinating. And so, so due to this, there was like this really vibrant black community of, of like, of escaped slaves, of mm-hmm. free persons of color, and then slaves who had like family members or people they knew that were free persons of color. And all of this created this culture that's pretty unique in America. And also mm-hmm. this distancing from whiteness allowed that culture to have more of like an African connection. Like the, 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 the ethno side wouldn't be as profound if you escaped and went to live on an island. And so the, the language of Gullah Geechee people has like more African cadences. It's like, it's more like island kind of Creole, just kind of like how it is in Jamaica and other places, the Bahamas, all that kind of stuff. And so like my mom, when she talks, she speaks with like an accent. People think my mom's mm-hmm. Jamaican even though she's from Charleston. Wow, yeah, I, <laughs> I know folks like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so Kumbaya is just the dialect of this unique group of black people saying, come by here, Kumbaya, yeah. you know, Kumbaya, come by here. And so even though there was that level of freedom, like that freedom didn't mean that you weren't getting terrorized. It didn't mean that like mm-hmm. there wouldn't be a white person trying to come out to the sea islands and take that island. You know, it didn't right. mean that if you were living in the free person, the color community, that like white people weren't trying to like terrorize you. Like the largest sl- organized slave rebellion was going to happen in Charleston. Denmark Vesey organized it. Right. And it got, you know, the secret was, it was spilled and it never happened. But they just like killed a whole bunch of black people to let everyone, let all the free and enslaved black people know. Oh, and the slave rebellion that, Bessie organized. Bessie was a free person of color. So it was like a rebellion mm-hmm. orchestrated between enslaved black people they, and free and black free. <laughs> That would have just... That's dangerous. That was dangerous. It can be very dangerous for that time uh, for the white people. Yeah. The goal was, to, the goal was to, to liberate all these enslaved people, just kill all the slave owners, and then hop on boats and go to Haiti. That was, that was, that was the jam. And, uh, but wow. anyway, like, this unique culture has this dialect... <laughs> that uh, pronounces come by here as kumbaya and they needed a, a spiritual to articulate the terror that was befalling them all the time even though it might have been lesser than to say you lived in mississippi or alabama or you know right. more inland parts of charles of uh, south carolina but in the 20th century with technology you know white people heard black people singing these songs and like we were still singing these songs into the 20th century like under jim crow you know the lord didn't come to the houses yet you know (laughs) like he didn't come here yet and save it but when you have a pretty melodic dialect a creole english african influenced dialect if people don't know the history or the story behind what you're singing and they don't, right. they don't know your dialect. They'll hear come by here as kumbaya and go, oh, that just sounds so pretty. 
can I record mm-hmm. this? And right. then they did. And then next, you know, like other white people heard it and like, oh, what a beautiful song. I can't really understand everything that they're saying. And even if they are talking about slavery and oppression, I don't think white America was really open to hearing that message in like mm-hmm. the 1920s when this was first recorded, 1920s, 1930s. And right. it just slowly progressed from being the song imploring the Lord to come save them to just this like melodic song that you kind of sing that's calming. And I think it's mostly just due to like systemic white ignorance to the experiences and culture of black people that ended up erasing culture. Going back to your point about like, you know, whether it was malicious or not, it's like, it's just ethnocide, ethnociding, you know, which is, you know, to say how you say, you know, you hear this and then you, uh, you hear this and you say, wow, I should record that. And then of course, records are pressed and it's played on the radio and it's now being monetized and you have to question. It's not far, it's not hard to think that this is a stolen song or someone who hasn't properly been even been compensated for even recording it in the first place. Like we don't know even that first person, you know, who did that. And so it's, it's interesting just to see to call out once again that like ethnocide is not always of malicious intent it's learned behavior and it's learned how much that white people and even and all people eventually will kind of be ingrained into this culture of taking away cultures and not you know acknowledging them you know a question that i have for you though is in terms of like how we perceive the word kumbaya now and like bringing it back to like the dnc and looking watching the the democratic national convention and seeing that they had republican speakers on there you know kind of reminded me of people who criticized michelle obama for saying nice things about george bush and and how their family friends and how like you know how could someone who on this on the surface they seem like their ideals can be different from a political sense they both advocate for different things could be advocating for one could be advocating for taking away rights of people one is advocating for giving them away but yet they can split a beer together and so (laughs) i guess my question is in its way of us understanding today is kumbaya a good or a bad thing and is there a positive to the idea of what we define it as today or is it still twisted and misinformed Yeah, I'd say it's still twisted and misinformed, but like it's a complex answer because I think I think Michelle and George Bush and Biden and Republicans today are like they're kind of different because like as a person growing up in the South, it's really easy to be friends with Republican people in the South so long as you don't talk to them about stuff that actually matters like like. A lot of the Republicans I would I knew in in the South, like they're perfectly nice people, and they they didn't have malicious intent. They weren't trying to do bad things. They were doing what they thought were good things. Their good things are bad things that like harm my community. And if you end up having conversations about like the impact of their actions, now that friendship could very well end and you'll have a conversation where like 
They're more concerned about how you made them feel about doing something bad and not the fact they're like, yeah, exactly. Like they're doing something bad to me and I'm telling them that it's harming me. And they're like, I don't like how you telling me that I'm harming you makes me feel because I feel like I'm doing something good for you and I don't like to feel bad. It's like, this is, this is the craziest conversation I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> you know? Whoa, I don't like how you make me feel bad about being bad to you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? It, you know, and so, like, George Bush is kind of one of those people where, like, George Bush, I think, 100% woke up and tried to do his best. Right. His best was horrific. Just just uh, like a level of incompetence that Americans didn't think was possible to duplicate or get worse than prior to Donald Trump. But he was trying to do his best and be a good guy. Now that George Bush doesn't have a job and isn't responsible to do anything ever for the rest of his life, super easy guy to like. So I'm sure I'm, I'm, <laughs> paints great pictures. Yeah, like, you know, like who wouldn't want to, ha- you know, have a friend who like genuinely cares, wants to do good stuff, mediocre painter, but like you don't put him in, res- make him responsible for anything. Like he doesn't have, he don't have deadlines. He, 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 like he's not responsible for anything. Like George Bush now is probably a perfectly fine person to get along with. You know, yeah. if you said, Hey George, could you go run this company? that company's going to get run into the ground. You won't be friends with him anymore. He's going to lose a bunch of your money, you know? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. like, that's Michelle and, and, and George Bush. Um, and so, like, I could see it. Like, just a perfectly nice guy that you just don't want to be in charge of anything or have responsibility. <laughs> and his ideas, are, like, at a macro level are really, really bad. The problem with mm-hmm. America is that, like, we really encourage those white people would be in charge of everything. And it's like, that's, ins- that's insane. Yeah. Like, that's what <laughs> for, for Biden, you know, Biden's one of those guys that always has tried to like reach across the aisle and, 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 and find common ground with everybody. And he's a politician that's been around for a long time. And a lot of that time that those everybody people that he had to like get along with were all these like, quasi-racist Republicans, you know? Right, that, right. And, you know, like, they, they said at the DNC last night that Strom Thurmond requested that Joe Biden give his eulogy. Like, that dude is, like, an avowed segregationist. And right. him and Joe were able to get along because Joe finds a way to, like, get along with people so he can get things done. I think the, yeah. the question... Now for like Joe Biden, hopefully, you know, you know, if he becomes president, you know, we, we sincerely hope he does is that he puts the effort forth to get common ground with all of like the diverse Democratic Party, you know, that's like Latino and African American, yeah. Asian American, Indigenous people like he exerts that same amount of effort that he was that he exerted back when it was just like white Democrats and white Republicans. I think that the reason that there's a bunch of Republicans talking for, for Biden right now is he knows he can get those voters. He knows that yeah. these Republican voters, if they get these moderate Republican guys that, you know, Biden and them can get along at some degree, uh, he's going to be able to crush Donald Trump, like, yeah, flat out. Like, it won't even be close. And so 
I it it's kind of two different things. Like Michelle Obama can be friends with uh with George Bush because George Bush ain't got to do nothing anymore. He's <laughs> right. He, he's a he's a he's a well-meaning dude with zero responsibilities. Yeah. But Biden and the Republicans right now, he's like, I can get all these votes. We can't take any risk with this Trump guy. Like, it, this needs to be a blowout. So I'm going to get every Republican vote I can get. I'm going to get yeah. every black vote I can get. At this DNC convention, we throw in in Spanish as much as humanly possible. Yeah. I know Latinos are mad that, like, there's not, like, a prominent Latino on the ticket or, or like, Julian Castro hasn't been announced as such and such and da-da-da-da-da. So we got to make sure, like, that could that be in Spanish? If it could be in Spanish, we're going to put that in Spanish. You're going to put it in Spanish, yeah. Can we get that song remixed into being like a Spanish kind of song? We're going to do it. He's trying to get all the votes. And so it's it's quite strategic. Uh, so, Absolutely. So I wouldn't even use the word kumbaya to describe that. I think if uh, if we use kumbaya in relation to the DNC, it's literally, it's like more like America saying, come by here whoever it is if you do believe in god or not but like we need you now to stop donald trump, <laughs> trump. <laughs> from trying to destroy our lives maybe it's a it's actually kind of reverting back to its original meeting now huh it's more like the original kumbaya now that's funny that's funny i actually think that's a great <laughs> i think that's a great way to end it <laughs> we're going back to the original meeting yeah um any any final thoughts on kumbaya before we wrap up today you know I, i'd say the, the the key thing is with with kumbaya you have to and with everything in america like you have to make that extra effort to know the history i think mm -hmm. we spend a lot of time articulating and viewing things like in the absence of history where it's just like feeling or how can I monetize something without the real back backdrop. And when you do that, it makes, it makes it really easy for things to be corrupted and to like lose their meaning. The, the, the history of Charleston is not that hard to find out. And the history of Kumbaya, right. not hard to find out, but like most people don't know it. And they, and I think plenty of people probably, you know don't want to know because it it really makes it even clearer like how stark like oppression has been for generations and generations where you know and i i bet it might be difficult for someone to acknowledge that this song they think means like happiness and coming together and like meditation and being light is actually a song that like black people would sing to themselves for generations hoping that the Lord, a Lord that was like forced upon them, like a Christian Lord in many ways, um, mm -hmm. would intervene and save them from the constant oppression and terror that was just their day-to-day -day life in America. Like, you know, it's not a fun story, but it's what you need to know. It's the story and that we have to know. Yeah, like that's, we, that's where we live, you know. Wow, I dig it. Well, awesome, man. Um, you know, thank you for that overview of Kumbaya. I'm just struck by, you know, how much you find out is yours when it's been, it feels like it's not, you know. Yeah. yeah and, I'll, <laughs> and I'll just to add to that, like as a, my family's Gullah, but like we didn't, we don't know all the Gullah stuff. Like 
Right. I think I'm pretty confident and I might get the holiday run, but like Memorial Day is also like created by Gullah Geechee people. And it was to like memorialize the end of the Civil War. And so like now we, we just use it to like, you know, a memorial for everything. But like that's like a thing that black people, Gullah Geechee people made in celebration of the right. Civil War ending. And we don't even tell that story. But I, I, I added this where like there is a lot of stuff about my own culture that I'm learning as an adult as I do my own research. Mm-hmm. It's not like a constant continuation of like oral storytelling that like I just grew right. up knowing all of this stuff, which is like, you know, frankly, like oral storytelling is how most of humanity has learned about existence for like the whole of human existence. Like people tell these right. stories. And so like these are stories that I learned on my own in many ways. Um, and now the task is with the podcast and this is to like right. tell the stories, make it more of like an oral tradition. And so, yeah, just to echo that, like there, the amount of stuff that I learn that like my own people created that I didn't know that sometimes I learn from someone who's not even part of my community. It's like, what? What? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> So yeah, nah, it's, 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 it's wild. Dope, man. Well, you know, thank you again, Mr. Barrow Holmes Pittner, my illustrious philosopher co-host for uh, joining me for another week of uh, Language for Liberation. You know, our word this week has been kumbaya, which means come by here. You know, this has been a, a, a great conversation. You know, as we wrap things up, we would like to, you know, just let our audience know that SEL Radio is now live. So you can listen to this conversation and all previous Language for Liberation episodes as well as comments, commentary from events that we've had, other podcasts that are a part of our platform. Uh, you can access those on any podcast platform, Spotify, Apple Music, Google, and also through our website, uh, scl.community, and via our Instagram page at, um, or anywhere on social media at scl.community, uh, so that we hope that you check that out. But this has been OG Baka, Bukhari Ibrahim, and Barry Holmes-Bittner, and we'll holler at you next time.